Our second reading this morning is from John's Gospel. I'm going to be reading the first 12 verses of chapter 2. John's Gospel, chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Hear the word of the Lord. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water now become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This is the first of his signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee, and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed him. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there a few days. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for this word. We pray this morning that your Holy Spirit would be with us, teaching us, and stirring up our hearts to do whatever it is that you will call us to do this day. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So in the stairwell over uh, Valley Christian School, if you go down the hall and take the stairs upstairs, there are two framed certificates. One is from the Association of Christian Schools International, and the other is from the Middle States Association of Colleges and Schools. They are certificates of accreditation. The Association of Christian Schools International and the Middle States Association each conducted a lengthy study of Valley Christian School, its faculty, its curriculum, its policies and procedures, its facilities, its finances, and each of those associations has accredited Valley Christian School because the school meets the standards set by those organizations. To be accredited requires an enormous amount of work. You may have the best school in the country, but to be accredited, you have to prove to the accrediting organization that you're up to snuff. The push to get Valley Christian School accredited was started by Dolores Turner when she was the president of the VCS school board. It was Dr. Margie Hindley who finally got that enormous project over the finish line when she was president of 
the board. The amount of work needed to earn accreditation is enormous, but it's worth it because the seal of approval of the Association of Christian Schools International and the Middle States Association assures parents that Valley Christian School is going to provide their children with a quality education. Accreditation is important not because of the certificates that hang in the stairwell. That's just a piece of paper. The accreditation is important not because of the certificates, but because of what those certificates point to, namely to the quality of the school. In the story of the wedding at Cana, which is the first recorded miracle of Jesus, we have the divine accreditation of Jesus. We have a divine seal of approval of his ministry. And what we will see this morning as we unpack this familiar story is that this miracle, like a piece of paper that hangs on the wall, is not all that important. What's important is what the miracle points to. Stories of miracles are a prominent feature of all of the Gospels. It's impossible to think about the life of Jesus without thinking about his miracles. You know, changing water into wine, healing a man who's been blind since birth, raising a dead man to life, walking on the surface of the Sea of Galilee, feeding 5,000 people with a few fishes and loaves. Those miracle stories are central to the Gospel. But you might ask why it is that Jesus did these miracles. What purpose did they serve? And the question that I ask is why didn't he do more? I mean, if Jesus could change water into wine and feed a crowd of people with a few scraps of food, why not just fill everyone's cupboard and everyone's wine cellar so we'll never be hungry or thirsty again? If he could heal a leper and heal a cripple... Why not just heal everyone and empty the hospitals? If he could raise Lazarus from the dead, why not raise everyone who ever left behind a grieving family? There are actually a number of places in the gospel where it seems that Jesus is annoyed with people because they're only interested in the miracles. But they're not interested in what he's saying. There are a number of times in the Gospels where Jesus seems positively harassed by the crowds of people who are hoping for some special favor from him. And so he runs off and he hides. In the Gospel of Mark, Jesus heals people and then he tells them to not say anything about the healing. Because it seems he doesn't want to attract crowds of curiosity seekers or people who are interested in him for the wrong reasons. While it is impossible to think of the life of Jesus without thinking of his miracles. If you read the Gospels carefully, you'll see that Jesus is actually rather sparing in the miracles that he performs. And in each case, you will discover that there is a reason for the miracle which reaches beyond the miracle itself. Yes, Jesus was merciful. Yes, Jesus was kind. Yes, Jesus had pity on people who were suffering in their bodies and in their minds. But relieving their physical or mental suffering is not the primary purpose in any of Jesus' miracles. And that's because... What we need even more than physical healing, what we need even more than 
relief from whatever troubles we might have at the moment. What we need above all else is a personal, trusting relationship with Jesus and a saving knowledge of the gospel which he proclaimed. If Jesus miraculously fixed every problem in your life but left you without knowing him, If Jesus healed you of every sickness and heartache, but left you without a saving knowledge of the gospel, then you would be the most pitiful creature who ever lived. Because what you need more than your health, what you need more than prosperity, is a genuine relationship with the living God. This is a hugely important point, and I want you to get it. Think of it this way. Imagine you have a billionaire father whose endless resources can make your life endlessly comfortable, whose money can bail you out of any difficulty. But imagine that you have no relationship with this father. He fills your bank account, but you don't know him or you don't love him and he doesn't share your life and he takes no delight in you. What kind of life would that be? It's better to have a father who makes a humble living and who is thrilled to see you when you walk through the door than it is to have a father who can give you pots of money but doesn't know you. And that's because, above all else, we have been created for loving relationships. We're created in God's own image. And we know that God is a trinity that is eternally in relationship with itself. We are created in God's own image. And the Bible tells us that God is love. The Bible doesn't say that God is health or God is riches or God is beauty. He has those things. He can give those things. But at his very core, in his very character, he is relational love. And what he desires most for us, what we need most from him, is a real, living, loving relationship with him. And this bears on the question of our prayer life. All too often I hear, and I'm sure you hear too, requests for prayers to meet the troubles of this life. Prayers for safety. Prayers for money, prayers for healing. And while we should pray for those things, the Bible teaches us to pray for all things. The Bible teaches us to pray for daily bread. It isn't danger in the street. It isn't our financial struggles. It isn't even sickness or cancer that is killing us. What is killing us is isolation. And deep loneliness in our souls, what is killing us is a lack of a genuine relationship with the source of life, who is God himself. God made us. He's the source of life. And if we have no relationship with him, if we're cut off from that sap of life, then like a branch that's been cut off from a grapevine, we will wither and die. Now, it doesn't happen all at once. You cut off the branch, it looks okay for a while. But in time it begins to shrivel and the fruit dries up. And maybe that withering branch comes to you and asks you to pray for him that its fruit might be plump again, that its leaves might be full and unwrinkled. Even if you could perform that miracle, what would be the point? You would only be delaying 
the inevitable. What the branch needs is not to have its fruit replumped and its leaves unwrinkled. What the branch needs is to be grafted back into the vine. Because the vine has the sap of life because in the vine there is life and hope and fruit and it is only in a genuine relationship with God. It is only by being grafted into the true vine as Jesus calls himself that we even have life. And that life will be good and it will be rich and it will be abundant. The greatest miracle that God can perform in your life is not to heal you. It is not to make you prosperous. The greatest miracle that God can perform in your life is to graft you into Jesus Christ. So why do we have these miracle stories? Why did Jesus so often produce miracles? Why make wine for a wedding? If it's only going to run out eventually, why heal the leper if he's only going to die in 40 years anyway? Why feed the hungry this week if they're going to be hungry again next week? What we see in the gospel is that the miracles of Jesus serve as God's accreditation of the message that Jesus brings. They are a divine certificate. They are a heavenly seal of approval of what Jesus is teaching. And it is in receiving and in believing the meshes of Jesus that we are grafted into the true vine and that we finally find true life. Listen to what our text says. This is John chapter 2 verse 11. This The first of his signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed him. Now listen to these words well. This is the first sign, the first of his signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee. Here John, the the evangelist, John the evangelist uses the word sign, semeon in Greek for the miracle. Now, the New Testament has other words for miracle. Uh, sometimes they're called works, ergon. Sometimes they're called mighty works, dunamen. The word miracle that we have in English actually comes out of the Latin, and it means a wonder or a wonderment. But the miracle in itself is not the wonder. Wonder is how we react to the miracle. The miracle in itself is a work, or it's a mighty work, or it's a sign. In this case... John is telling us that the first miracle of Jesus is a sign. The miracle is a sign, but what is a sign? A sign is something that points away from itself toward something that is much more important than itself. As you came into church this morning, you walked past a little sign... I wonder how many saw it. That reads sanctuary. It's got a little arrow. And now you find yourself sitting in a sanctuary. This sanctuary is a grand structure. It's worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. The sign is made of plastic and it's worth about 10 bucks. Now apply that to a miracle. To a sign that Jesus performs. Six stones of... Six stone jars of wine... About 180 gallons, that's terrific. But it's just the tiniest little sign 
pointing to something that is infinitely more wonderful. Here's the point. When you come to church, you don't stop at the sign that says sanctuary and say, hey, here I am. You haven't arrived when you've reached the sign, when you've reached the miracle. You've only arrived when you've reached the place that the sign is pointing toward. Remember John the baptizer. He was the one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. He is a sign pointing to the thing that really counts. Thousands of eyes are fixed on John. But the whole time he's pointing away from himself saying, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Stop looking at me. Look at him. Look at Jesus. Signs are important. Certificates hanging on the wall are nice. But please don't admire the sign. Please don't think that the certificate is the thing that counts. John is telling us that the miracles of Jesus are signs. Mere signs. Sure, they're wonderful. Who wouldn't want 180 gallons of premium wine for free? But it's not about the sign any more than it was about John the baptizer. What is important is Jesus and the message he brings. Maybe we need to stop asking for miracles. Maybe we need to stop praying for miracles in our lives when what we really need is Jesus. Maybe we should stop asking God to do a miracle in our life and start asking God to graft us into Jesus so that the sap of his life will flow through our veins. When that happens, when we're grafted into Jesus, when we're plugged into his lifeblood, we're not going to need signs anymore. We will have arrived. We will be in the sanctuary. Maybe that's what our prayer should be, not God, please give me the things that I need, but God, please give me Jesus. Okay, let me go back to the text. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. Okay, now is quiz time. We'll see if you were listening, BJ. What does the sign point to? What does the sign show? Or in the language of our text, what is it that this sign is manifesting? Let me read it for you again, because the answer is right there. This, the first sign of, first of his signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his, yeah. It manifests the glory of Jesus. Doxon is the word in Greek, and this word is always connected with God. Glory is the radiance, the shiningness of God. Glory is what we ascribe to God in worship. This little sign of changing water into wine points to the huge glory of God. How foolish it would be to notice the wine but miss the glory of God. Sometimes we make that mistake in worship. We come into this sanctuary, we worship God in praise and in song. And sometimes people will remark, wow, how wonderful the music was this morning. But no matter how wonderful the music is, it is just a dinky little sign. And it's a sign that's trying its best to point us to something that really does matter. The music points us to God, and the minute we notice the music but fail to see God... 
were in grave danger. And now a word for the musicians. Listen to me. The minute you are thrilled by your music but fail to notice God is the minute you need to walk away from your instrument because you stand in danger of idolatry. Signs are important. They're a gift from God. We thank him for them. But the sign is only important because it points us to God. If it fails to do that, if the sign attracts our attention more than God, then the sign must be replaced. So the miracles is a sign. And the sign points to the glory of Christ. And now comes the payoff. Again, back to our text. This, the first of his signs Jesus did at Galilee, in Cana in Galilee, and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. The sign points us to the glory of Christ. That glory is divine. It's part of the the, the very nature of God himself, part of his essence. It is the visible presence of the divine. And it is that glory which certifies and accredits the words of Christ, his message and his gospel. The sign gives us reason to believe what he is teaching. And it is this belief that gives us what we really need. Acts 16.31 says this, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Romans 10.11 says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. It's impossible to tell the story without talking about his miracles, but the purpose of those miracles is not to draw attention to themselves. The purpose of those miracles is not to fix people's problems. The purpose of those miracles was to show the glory of Christ so that we might listen to his words and believe what he says and enter into a saving relationship with him. Here's how R.C. Sproul puts the matter. Quote, Jesus did his miracles not for their own sake, but to point the observer and the reader beyond them to something that was significant to himself as the one who spoke the unvarnished word of truth. That is, the miracles represent God's accreditation that Jesus was sent from him. End quote. So let's leave behind the miracles of Jesus for now. Let me talk about the gospel, the message of Jesus that they're supposed to point us to. Jesus said that he came into this world to seek and to save those who are lost. To be lost means to be cut off from God. We get lost because we insist upon going our own way. We insist upon our own independence. We're lost because we cut ourselves off from God, thinking that, you know what, if I'm free from God, then I'll be free indeed. But that freedom which God permits us to have is a freedom that can only bring us the withering death of being cut off from the very sap of life which comes through the true vine, who is Jesus Christ. If you came here this morning, as many of us have, bearing burdens of life, trouble at home, trouble at work, trouble in your body, trouble in your mind, 
I want to counsel you this morning to not ask God to fix those problems. To not ask God for a miracle unless you first ask God to fix your troubles by grafting you into himself. Now I have to tell you the truth. Being grafted into God means we have to give up our independence. It means we are no longer allowed to live as though God doesn't live. It means that we enter into a binding and a permanent relationship with God through Jesus Christ. If you came here this morning bearing the burdens of life, trouble at home, trouble at work, trouble in your body, trouble in your mind, I would counsel you to not ask God to fix those problems, to not ask God for a miracle, unless you first ask God to fix your troubles by grafting you into himself. Don't ask God to fix your problems without first asking him for a relationship. God loves us. And he wants us to know him, which is why he's invited us into worship today. And if we are willing to turn away from our independence, if we're willing to turn to him and depend upon him, he will graft us into himself. And his lifeblood which he shed on a cross for the remission of sins, will flow into our lives, and it will bring us real life. It will bring us sane life. It will bring us healthy lives. It will bring us lives that count, lives that make a difference. One day it will bring us eternal life. If you hear God calling you today, calling you out of independence into a relationship with him, here's what I want you to do. In a few moments, we're going to spend some time in prayer together here in this sanctuary. We're going to do it as a call and response. I'll pray a few words, and you'll pray them back aloud uh, where you're sitting, along with everyone else around you. And as we go through this simple prayer, I want you to claim those simple words as your own. I want it to be your prayer. It's what we call a sinner's prayer. Our mission statement here at HVP says that we are a fellowship of sinners. And so this is a prayer that many of us have prayed in one form or another at some point in our life. And it is a prayer that God always answers when it's offered in faith. We're not going to pray that God fixes our circumstances this morning. We're going to pray that God fixes us, attaches us. To himself, so that his life might become our own. Let us pray. As I pray aloud, I'm going to ask you to respond with the same words. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. You are the Lamb of God. Who takes away the sins of the world. In your mercy take away my sin. You made me in your image. But I have disfigured that image. Through sin and rebellion. Create in me a clean heart. And renew a right spirit within me. 
Though I am separated from you by my own independence. In your mercy, graft me once again. Into yourself, the true vine. Let your lifeblood flow through my veins. Heal me, body and soul. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I commit my life to you this day. And I resolve to live for you all the days of my life. Until you receive me in glory. To live with you eternally. These favors we ask in your powerful name. Amen. Second Corinthians 3.18 says, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed in the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. It is only as we gaze at Jesus Christ and as we look at his glory that we will be transformed into his likeness. We're going to sing a couple songs together about our wonderful Savior, Jesus. I encourage you to jump in and sing with us. Let's stand. <laughs> 